Welcome to As Spiders Do, the University of Richmond podcast where we share stories about our amazing alumni. I'm your host, Maggie Johnson from the class of 2018. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Bowers from the class of 2012. She's a professional change manager at Nestle and lives in Washington, DC. Today is all about legacy and community. So let's learn how to be the change. to start with just hearing how you ended up at University of Richmond. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. So I found University of Richmond two ways. So the first way is through my older sister, who is an 05 alum. And seeing her go there, you know, I would stay with her sometimes on the weekends. It felt really familiar. It felt really welcoming. And then I knew she was also getting a great education. And then second, I went to the Governor School for the Humanities, which is for Virginia high school students. And I've spent a summer at University of Richmond. Again, like such a beautiful campus. So by the time my senior year came around, it was definitely at the top of my list. And yeah, I ended up going. Did you overlap with your sister at all while here? I didn't, no. So she's 05 and I'm 2012, but we did share in common the Jepson School of Leadership Studies. So we had, you know, some of the same professors, which is really great. And I hope I continue the legacy (laughs) that she had set for me. When you were here, did you feel like people associated you with her at all? Or or did you really kind of have a completely individual experience? So I, I do feel like I, you know, was in her footsteps a little bit because, you know, she was a grad and she also worked on campus. So (laughs) she worked first in admissions and then later uh, in development for the law school. So again, being a student on campus and then, you know, not only had she been a grad, she also worked there so we could like grab coffees. And, you know, I think it was definitely like a Bauer sisters kind of thing that we were associated with one another. So definitely a close connection. Parent, my parents love Richmond because, you know, taking care of both of their daughters and because they employed my sister for a very long time too. <laughs> so yeah, definitely feel like I, I walked in her legacy. That's awesome. And have, have you guys remained close since graduation? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, I live in the District of Columbia. She lives in the District of Columbia with her husband and her two kids. So I see them weekly. We're super close, even though we're six and a half, seven years apart. We've, we've lived together before she got married. So yeah, we're super close siblings, heightened by you know the fact that we overlapped in the sense that I was a student at the university while she was working at the university. I love to hear that. I think, you know, there's something really special about college in general, bringing siblings together, but I think especially getting to kind of experience it together, but in different ways at the same time is really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Well, tell me a little bit about your experience at UR. What did you major in? What were you involved in? Yeah. So I majored in uh, journalism and leadership studies. So I was a double major. And while I was there, I was a part of the collegian. So I was on the copy editing staff and then eventually became the copy editor. I was an Oliver Hill scholar. So I was pretty involved with that had like monthly programming and then I eventually joined the like the Oliver Hill Scholar Board to interview scholars who were interested in being part of the program. I was involved in ODK, the service organization. So I was vice president of membership for that, helping to make sure we identified the right candidates to continue the ODK le- legacy, that sort of thing. And then uh, I guess most prominently, I was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. Uh, so I was a member of AKA starting my second semester of my freshman year and then served as president for two years and then was just really involved with all things Alpha Kappa Alpha. Out of all that, was there any one experience that really transformative for you or really just impacted you during your time? 
say AKA was really important for me because I was able to form such close bonds with those women. It was really like the community that I clung most to, that they were my social outlet. And then we did a lot of programming on campus too, that was around the different initiatives that AKA has, whether it was around fitness or mental health or getting involved or like how to navigate your first year. I felt like the things that we did were really impactful, especially for welcoming African-American students onto campus and making them feel like they had a home. So I think AKA really provided the visibility to so that people of color could find one another and so that we could elevate different initiatives that supported uh, the development of, you know, people of color on campus. Are you still involved with Alpha Kappa Alpha as an alumna or uh, did that kind of peter out after college? I am. Yeah. So I'm still involved. I'm in a grad chapter in Alexandria, Virginia. So still waving the AKA flag. And that's another legacy item. My sister is AKA, my mom's AKA, you know, that, that runs deep through the family as well. <laughs> awesome. So how did UR shape who you became as a professional, whether, you know, directly through your major or just kind of in other ways? I think that UR brought out like the best parts of me and really helped me to understand my passions. So I, like I said, I did journalism and leadership studies, and those really are the two things in my life that I'm most passionate about. So my career started off as in consulting, where I was leveraging my background of all of the things that I had learned on how to be an effective writer, how to be an effective communicator. But then Jepson brought that piece of how, how can you be an effective leader, regardless of where you are in the organization? How can you be an ethical leader? How can you be a servant leader? So I feel like the things that I studied at Richmond helped me to be a more robust and well-rounded professional um, in a way that wasn't made up. It was all, you know, grounded in, in theory and in, you know, studies that I had, had read during my time. And honestly, through professorial involvement, because I think the journalism school is just really small. So I had Tom Mullen, who is an icon University of Richmond, but I had him five times. So for that level of investment from a professor really helped me to be a better writer and a better communicator and really get to a different place had I been at a, than if I had been at a bigger school. Did you have any favorite leadership classes? I'm just curious. I was a leadership major too, so I'm always curious. Yeah. So I, I feel like the one that was most impactful for me was leadership and organizations. And I don't know if that's offered every year, but it was taught by Dr. Gil Hickman. And we got to study essentially what does, what does leadership look like in an organization? So we went to this, this company that was called Profit, which I think is like a consulting firm, and kind of did a study of what were the employees' perceptions of leadership, where are their opportunities. And then we were able to take all that information and present it back to a huge group from the company so that they could get insights and then plan around these recommendations that we had made from a leadership perspective. So I felt like that was a really good example of how do I put my Jepson education to work in the real world because we were constantly doing these like interviews, going into downtown Richmond, really interacting with people who we're taking the, th- the recommendations that we were making and then actually applying them in order to make their workplaces a better place to work. So that was really cool. Definitely favorite class. That's excellent. Um, and it sounds almost like that kind of leads into your, your career now as a change manager. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So my career now, so I'm a change manager at Nestle and I like to say change management is helping people navigate from a current state to a future state. And I think my career is really, again, a culmination of all of my different passions because I believe in a people-led organization, a people-forward organization. And I believe that if you're going to 
implement any sort of change. If people can't be successful, if your employees can't be successful, then it's going to be a failure. So I get to play a direct role in helping to come up with those strategies so that people know how to use new technologies, so that they know how to interact when there are new ways of working that are introduced, or when an organization is going to shift that we've thought about, what about what's going to happen to this process? Who's going to own it? How is it going to change? So I think that this is definitely the culmination of all of the different things that I learned at Richmond and is is really a a pivot of my career because I started in communications and communications is very external facing, right? So it's like a lot of, a lot of execution, a lot of documentation of decisions. Whereas I think with change management, I get to play a bigger role in the decisions that get made before they are communicated out. So that's, I like that I was able to like shift and influence. So when there are bigger changes, then I can say, Hey, have we thought about you know, the trainings that we're going to provide to our employees, that kind of thing? Or have we thought about how we're going to communicate to them? Can we involve employees in the process so that they can get excited about what the change is coming? So I'd like that I get to, to have that say before letting, you know, the world into what, what's to come. Yeah, it's so fascinating that you've, you've really seen both sides. And so you can look back down and say like, well, this is how, you know, I might have reacted to it if I was on the outside and hearing about this change and you get to influence it now. which is Exactly. Really cool. And I and you have the empathy of working at the organization too, because mm-hmm. um, that's the other change is that, you know, I went from being an external consultant where I was really focused on clients, right? It's like mostly the federal government and now being an internal employee I, I'm there with you. Like, I understand why this is frustrating. <laughs> and I always make the joke of like change managers struggle the most with change. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I get it. I want to make it easier for people and I want them to, to know what's coming and to feel like they're prepared to, to embrace whatever change is coming. Absolutely. I think your, your career is so, so important, especially right now. You know, we've just come out of the pandemic, two years of just kind of consistent change. Has there been any kind of like either one big change or one challenge that you've had? I mean, honestly, so I started in my role at the beginning of the pandemic. So that in and of itself was a huge change. (laughs) So I think uh, Nestle historically was a a pretty office-based company. You know, a lot of culture is built around people communing together. And that wasn't possible at at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So we all like immediately went to like working from home. I onboarded from home. I was trying to build my network from home, but that created opportunity. So one of the things that I ended up doing because I felt this need to want to connect with other people was to create a change management community of practice. So this is something that existed at, you know, previous employers, but didn't exist in the same way that I wanted to at Nestle. So I talked to my leader at the time about like, hey, like, what do you think about like creating a forum where we get like change managers together to talk about what they're working on so that they can be inspired others work so that we can see how changes applied in the company. She was like, totally on board. So I got a little committee together and we figured out what do we want to do? How do we want people to feel connected and came up with this whole plan that, you know, we branded it, we established when how frequently we want to meet, created a workplace, which is kind of like an internal social network, so workplace groups that we publicize that this community existed and now it has 58 people. So it's really great that I don't know that I would have done this so quickly being new to the organization had it not been a pandemic, but I think that's one of the opportunities that came about is that, you know, 
I can say that I created the space for other change managers and people who want to learn about change management to come together, you know, at Nestle and just talk about what they're working on on a regular cadence. So people will ask questions like, hey, does anyone have a template for X, Y, and Z? You're like, anyone have time for a phone call? That kind of thing, which is really great to see. I'm really struck by the fact that, you know, Nestle even has this role of change manager. So many organizations out there that don't and, and really relies on self-starters like you who are like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to aid this process and make it better. So do you have any tips for anyone like that kind of in their own workplaces, if change manager isn't their official title, like can they help create that positive change management process in their own situation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it starts by like just showing up to those employee forums because a lot of times companies will do those kind of things, but then it'll stop. And I think that the change management piece is like the what happens next. So we've heard the voice of the employee of like, you know, hey, we really want to do more of X, Y, and Z. But as far as the actual implementation and how you get there, that's kind of where the change management becomes involved. So then figuring out how you can remain engaged, like after those types of forums exist, there's also like formal methodology around change management. You know, it's not just, you know, made up thing. I'm formally trained in ProSci, which is a, like I would say the leading change management methodology, but it's really helpful to just like ground yourself in the principles of ProSci so that you kind of, or, or if any methodology you're choosing so that you kind of know what are the phases of change. And usually it starts with, awareness and then it builds to desire and then you create knowledge then it comes to ability and then reinforcement is like the final phase and those it's just helpful to kind of see like where are you on a change cycle and then when you think about the things that you want to implement in your own life honestly it's applicable right so it's like oh man you know i want to save more money as a goal for example awareness is the first step like i'm probably spending too much (laughs) desire is like it'd be great to see my bank account get to this number Mm -hmm. knowledge is like maybe I should get one of those spending apps so that I can see how I'm spending my money on on a monthly basis, right? Ability is then like, how can I get reminders when I've hit the budget cap (laughs) that I've set for myself so that I can stay on track? And then reinforcement is like, hey, I'm going to look at my like monthly spending report and see like, am am I trending in the right direction? Are there adjustments that I need to make? But I think it's like really processing like, how, how people change is, is a lot of times on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. And then at an organizational level, it's a collective of individuals that need to change. So there are going to be varying needs that happen for like the different user groups, but just getting attuned to how do people navigate change is really helpful if you're looking to get started in something like change management. That's very cool. I love that you bring it back to that personal life aspect too. Like there's there's such this sense of, you know, self-improvement and growing as people, but there's still that process there too that can help kind of guide us. I think that's for sure. And to make it practical, I think, because sometimes it can feel like a change manager can feel very intangible and like this really untouchable thing, but it's like, you got to break it down, right? There's there's like basic building blocks (laughs) to everything. And I think that, you know, those, those methodologies and decision-making frameworks can help to do that. Kind of in that realm, you know, are there any major misconceptions about your title or what you do? Yeah, I think a lot of people still don't know. <laughs> so I think it's still a pretty burgeoning area. And I think a lot of times people say change management equals communications and, or change management equals training. And that's that's really not what it is. Like change management is at its core, it's an enabling function for all of those things to happen. So communications and training falls under change management, but it's after there have been, you know, there's been an analysis to say like what the needs are based off of the the criteria of the change. 
So yes, those are outcomes, but it starts by thinking about like, who are the impacted stakeholder groups? How are they impacted? What do they need? And then yes, that can manifest as a communication or a training or some other type of you know, engagement type of activity. But I think a lot of times people are like, oh yeah, so you'll, you'll write the email, right? And it's just like, <laughs> well, if we determine that, yes, this email from this executive is the best approach. Yes. But yes. first we have to start with strategy. Absolutely. Again, I'm so fascinated that there's so much that's the end result. Like we associate, you know, saving money as the end result or the training as the end result. And you're really educating people on the process and the background and making people more effective from start to finish, which is so cool. So because this is such a, a growing field, how did you land here? Yeah. So I started, like I said, was doing strategic communications and did that for four and a half years. And I had a colleague from the team that I worked on go to another firm and start working in change management. And she was like, you know, I think you'd really like it, both the firm and doing just like a little bit more than just strategic communications. So I really started with like, honestly, my relationship development with her. She's like two or three years older than me, but was really instrumental in me making the the second move in my career. And yeah, I mean, I immediately got placed on a project that was under the same group that she was supporting. So again, <laughs> very influential from this person. And then it, a lot of it was like learning on the job. So like I was placed on a workforce transformation project where we were thinking about culture after these two organizations had combined. And like, what did that look like? What did employees want to see? And one of the first things I actually got to work on was this facilitating a working group on what does it mean to be a leader, which obviously aligns very nicely with my background, but I would just facilitate these conversations where we like had these three personas that we created. They were like entry-level, mid-level, and senior-level, and then have discussions about like what does it mean for that person to display leadership based off of these like certain qualities that we'd identified. And then we ended up packaging all of that and then creating a learning journey that was associated with developing those different types of skills based off of the employee feedback that we had received. So I think a combination of networking and then just honestly diving right in was how I ended up getting to where I am. And then as I stayed working in change management, then I got certified in ProSide, then I became a certified change management professional, which is the industry standard certification that you can get. So I became more and more, I guess, legit <laughs> the longer I stayed in it because I realized that I liked being there and I liked what was happening, but I, and I wanted people to take my recommendations seriously and know that they were grounded in proven methodology, not something that was just, you know, something that I made up. I'm fascinated by this project that you talked about and you specifically leadership and how your background is really helpful. I think, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, people think of as that one-to-one Jepson education to talking about leadership in the workplace. Have there been any other projects or moments that have stood out to you where um, either your journalism and or leadership background really came into focus like that? Oh, that's a good question. Moving forward, I was doing a lot of creation of things. After I worked on that project, I helped offices create change management capabilities. So essentially, like, how do they become change management service providers? So how do they intake different projects? And then how do they staff them based off the different elements that come together? So I mean, I think that there, there was a little bit of components of my journalism background and the need to sort of brand these organizations as doing that thing. So creating the marketing materials, creating the, the service, you know, type of menu of the things that they could provide and then coaching the staff that I was working with on how they can go out and deliver service. So I think that that is probably a good example, but I mean, I think I use all of it 
every day too. Honestly, just like even when you think about how do I want to be as a leader, I do rely a lot on my Jepson background and taking notes. So I think one of the best like teachers that you can have is having a, a not great boss and being able to then determine like, how am I going to be different once I'm in that position? And I think that I have the context of what it means to be an effective leader because of my Jepson background. And then I write every day. <laughs> so <laughs> I, try, I try to be, you know, an effective email writer, an effective communicator, but I think, I think that they are just like a part of truly who I am. Um, you mentioned kind of the the bad boss and transforming <laughs> leadership in that way. Would love if you are willing to expand if you've ever had an experience like that and how that's changed your leadership style. Yeah, for sure. So I think the most prominent example was at my last employer. And I think that this, this individual was so great at hiring people. Everyone that he hired, I loved, truly. <laughs> I keep in touch with to this day. His flaw was that there's a saying that says like, I hired good people and get out of their way. And he was like the opposite of that. So he hired great people who were highly capable, who had expertise and then micromanaged every step of the way. And I think that that, that's something that I will never do. And I think there is a tendency to believe that you can do something better if you have control or, you know, oh, I I can do it faster, but it also prohibit people from growing if you don't let people try and fail or maybe try and succeed because you're not even giving them that opportunity. So that that's the most prominent example where he was approving everything from like emails even, which I'm just like, how can you have the time to approve an email I'm sending to someone? But something that I will never do, even for people that are younger in their career, you know, I want to make sure that they feel empowered and that they are, they understand the standard of our level of delivery, but that they still are able to put their own spin on how things should be done and to be open to new ideas and new way of doing things. And just because I've done it before doesn't mean that I've done it right. So always like just continuously learning and growing from anyone in the organization, you know, whether they're 22 or they're 52 and they've been at, you know, the organization for 30 years, there's multiple ways to do things and you have to let people have agency in how they deliver their work. Love to hear that. (laughs) What's your favorite part of your job? I think that it's, I get to work on cool projects. (laughs) So I think the cool thing about Nestle, it's a, a conglomeration of different companies. And because of that, there's always something that they're trying to transform so that they can continue to be the leader in the market. And this is the first time that I've gotten to work on things that I then get to experience in the real world in a really meaningful way. So for example, one of my projects was there Nestle used to own like Nestle Pure Life, Deer Park, et cetera. And they sold off that part of the business and integrated the premium waters into the operating company that I sit in. So that includes like Perrier, San Pellegrino, S Pellegrino, et cetera. And I got to work on that integration and I just was like, this is so cool. (laughs) This is in the news. (laughs) So that, and like getting to work on like diverse things. Cause when I first started, I also worked on this, this platform deployment. And that was like cross operating companies. So that means that I got to like work with people who were from Purina and that who were from Nestle Nutrition, who owns like Gerber and like those kinds of things, but just seeing how they all like work differently. But then there's a lot of commonality and, you know, have a lot of the shared goals and trying to like bring that out of people is always really interesting, but I, I can never predict like what the next project is going to be. It's like right now I'm working on something that's called strategic revenue management and it's really transforming how we think about the data that we have and how we can make our products better priced, more tailored to the right occasion and for like the right time. So based off of like dynamic information that we're receiving, I never could have predicted that I was going to work on something like this. 
So I think just the, the variety of different types of projects is very fascinating. And I think that they are like the things that people want to work on. So I really like that. Yeah, I'm fascinated. Like I had no idea Nestle owned so many different kind of groups or products. So that's just, it's so cool. It's, like I always it's, so, it's so crazy. And I, I honestly didn't either. I'm like everything from like DiGiorno pizza and everyone says chocolate, right? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Toll House Cookies, that's that's obviously big. Morsels, Lean Cuisine, Life Cuisine. I mean, there's so many products that are in the Nestle suite. So it's really fascinating. And we get to do tastings around the office. And then we get free cookies, which is really nice. Like on on (laughs) two o'clock, there's like fresh baked cookies. So yeah, it's, it's a fun place to be. I'm a little jealous about the the cookies that would be be in so much trouble. Looking back from your time at UR, do you think your former self would be surprised by where you are now, what you're doing now? She'd be like a hundred percent shocked. <laughs> I, I think similar to a lot of people, I didn't know this was a career path that existed. And I, I knew that I like was going to be successful, but I had no idea what that looked like. Right. Even though I'm still earlier in my career, I don't know what the next 20 years will hold. I did not think that I would be in this position. One, I mean, Nestle just moved here in 2018. Right. Oh, wow. So I like didn't even know that this was available, but no, she'd be, she'd be shocked and she'd be super proud. I think Richmond really helped with creating that polish and the Jepson school in particular, I think we had to present so much. There was this, that same leadership and organizations class, like having to present literally every other week on our findings on different things really helped make me be a better presenter and to know how to conduct a meeting and to to know basics that not everyone knows. Honestly, people don't know that you need an agenda for a meeting and, you know, so yeah, she'd be, she'd be shocked and very proud, I think, of where we're going. I love to hear that. You mentioned kind of um, that, that idea of success being different. I would love to just hear a little bit about how your definition of success has evolved. Yeah. I mean, I think when I first started my career, I wasn't making very much. (laughs) So I think a lot of success meant that I was doing well financially. And while that certainly is a component now, I realize there are other things that I value. Like I value being able to take time off and being able to make my workout class and being able to spend time with my family and not working in a toxic work environment and being able to have a say into where I work. So there are other things now that are important to me that make a holistic, successful life rather than just like, oh, when I get to this number, you know, from a paycheck perspective, then that will make me happy. Cause that's, it's really not it. You're like constantly building a full life and adding like different components to it. And to me, when I'm most successful, I mean, I have room for all of the different components that I value and that make me feel fulfilled and that make me feel like filled up and where I don't have to miss out on the big moments of my niece or my nephew, for example, like doing certain things. I'm really curious about how you kind of, you know, those things that fill your cup and are important to you? Are those things that have evolved too over time? Or how did you go about kind of identifying those and then trying to create that space where you could make time for them? I think I've always been super family oriented. I mean, obviously the conversation (laughs) around Kim. So I think definitely being able to be in the same city with her and to experience her children growing up and to be there as they grow up is super important to me that a new thing that has come up within the last, I'd say five or six years is fitness. You know, I was having some just, I knew I was eating the best. I knew that I was, you know, not being as active as I should be. So that was an an intention to try to say like, I need to be more active. I need to be more conscious about like just the things that I'm putting into my body. And my friend introduced me to ClassPass, just, just like an app where you can take different fitness classes around 
the city. And that truly was transformative because it opened the door for me to like, okay, I'm going to show up to this class because if I don't show up, then I have to pay a fee. But then it, it made fitness feel more accessible and like something that I could do. So then I transitioned from just doing classes to going to the gym and, you know, being able to like do workouts on my own, which is it's really simple, but it's like, it was really tough for me. I also wanted to get more involved in the DC community. So I've joined other things beyond AKA. So I just recently joined the Junior League of Washington, which is like a women's service organization where we go out in the, the DC community and we'll do different types of community service. But then there's also a development component where you just get exposure to women who are working in different areas and where you can be a leader within the organization too. So I think it's been a combination of just like who I am as a, at my core and then wanting to think about future Sarah and the things that she does, the habits that she has, who she associates with, and then trying to align activities to, you know, that vision. I also had a coach, which was, which was really helpful too, like a personal and professional coach. And she kind of helped me to draft out the vision for my life and to work toward getting to that vision through really tangible ways that I could check in with her each month about like what I was doing. So that was really helpful. That's really cool. I love that. I'm also in the Junior League of Richmond. So I think it's such a, oh, nice. such a great organization. <laughs> I love it. You mentioned kind of connecting your work through Nestle. And how much do you connect the different parts of your lives? As much as possible. So I feel like, I mean, I'm passionate about like one of the things we talked about earlier was diversity, equity, inclusion. That's something that's super important to me. And that, you know, I am able to to do through the Junior League, through Alpha Kappa Alpha. But then I also made sure to join the, the Nestle groups that were focused on that. So starting with the Nestle Black Employee Association and then working on that. This, so my team sits in finance, but there is a finance dedicated um, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative that I was a part of. There were only five of us. And we did things like making sure that interview panels include one racial minority and one woman. We also made sure that diverse talent was being spotlighted. So there's a lot of conversation around like certain high performers, but usually it's like the kind of the same rotation of people. So we came up with different criteria so that we could, we could make sure that women and that people of color were being spotlighted through our leadership team. So doing those types of initiatives, but I actively like kind of sought that out. But I think, you know, it's just so interesting, kind of those pieces that we can connect or do connect. It, it's just so individual. So thank you for sharing. What would you consider consider your greatest achievement? Oh my goodness. I think personally is that my niece is named after me. That (laughs) that was such an honor. (laughs) And then I think professionally navigating Nestle during COVID was, was really, really challenging and it was really isolating. And the fact that I am where I am now that I know the number of people that I know, particularly as an introvert, (laughs) joining a, a global organization remotely and people actually knowing who I am is super meaningful and seems simple, but it was, that was really, really, really tough. I love that your, your two achievements are so people focused. I think that's so telling of what you find important. So I always like to kind of flip it on the head. Is there a missed opportunity in your life that you wish you had a second chance at? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. And it's at Richmond. And (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm the one person in the student body population that didn't go abroad. So that would be my biggest regret. Because I, I don't know when there will be another time when I have six months to go live in another country, but I think just, just lack of knowledge and, you know, valuing the wrong things at the time. Oh my gosh. I so wish that I'd gone abroad. If you could go back, where would you go abroad? Do you think? Either London or Australia. I feel like those were the popular ones. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I think I thought I couldn't do it or I don't really know what my perspective was or that maybe I would feel like I was lonely and I probably would have felt those things, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't have done it. So I wish that I had gone or that I had someone that had forced me or, you know, I ended up 
you know, somehow mistakenly on some list or something like that. I don't know, but I wish that I'd gone. Have you gotten to do any international travel since graduation? I know it's again, to your point, different. It's not six months, but yeah, yeah, I have, I have still haven't gone to London yet, but I've been to definitely a lot of islands, Central America, South America, Thailand. So yeah, a lot of travel, but not the same. Yes. Yes. Well, that's really cool. I love that. So just a couple of last questions for you. What's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice is half the battle is just showing up. And I think that applies for anything, truly, (laughs) whether it's like working out, Mm -hmm. half the battle is literally getting there or going to a meeting, you know, where maybe you don't feel prepared or you're not excited. Literally like showing up matters. People value it. People noticed it. And if you show up and you have anything, you know, that you have to contribute and you, you're willing to say it, people will notice that you activate meetings, you know? So I think showing up even when you don't want to. I love that. And then finally, I like to ask this of everyone, but what does it mean to be a spider? Oh, oh my gosh. I think that spiders are really unique. One, I, I think that if it's one of those, if you know, you know, so if you, if you know about Richmond, you know how special it is, then you get it. And I think that I've always found particularly alums, they're always willing to chat. They're always willing to connect. There's a love for the university that I, I don't think that other schools have. And there's a pride in having been, you know, a spider and the commonality that you have that you had for a long time of like having lived in the same dorms or had the same professors that I think is really unique, definitely to small schools. And I would say arguably definitely to Richmond because of its intentionality around keeping classes small and building relationships. I also think the Richmond student is interested in being a part of their community. I think that was a pretty big focus of like, how do we, how do we engage with like downtown Richmond? So we did that through Jepson classes, through what Justin Civil Society, we had to go out and volunteer with get downtown Richmond organization. But I think that there, that has definitely translated for me of like, I want to be a part of an, and an active member of the community that I live in so that I'm helping to make it better, that I'm helping to, you know, mentor or to volunteer or to do something. So I think that that, that's really unique as well. Thanks for listening to As Spiders Do from the University of Richmond Office of Alumni Relations. We hope you enjoyed hearing from today's alumni guests and learned a little bit more about what it means to be a Richmond Spider. Thank you to Olivia Huber, class of 2025, for editing this episode. Our episode music is by FAS Sounds from Pixabay. You can subscribe to As Spiders Do wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're always looking for new stories to share, so let us know who else we should feature by emailing us at alumni at richmond.edu. That's all for this episode. Talk to you soon. And remember, there are spiders everywhere. And that's a really good thing.